Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, discusses sustainable investing with our Head of Behavioural Finance, Rob Smith, and Ian Aylward, Head of Manager Selection. They talk about whether this lockdown will change our way of life forever to the benefit of the environment and how investors can make money and achieve their societal and environmental objectives. Hello. This week, uh, we're going to be discussing a topic that we haven't spoken about before on the podcast, responsible or, or sustainable investing. And to help us navigate through this proverbial jungle, um, I'm joined by a trio of experts, the head of our external manager and fund selection capability, Ian Elwood, um, the ever-composed Rob Smith, and our resident uh CIO, Will Hobbs. Um, So first off, Will, uh, can you give us the latest from the wider markets before we get into the meat of today's podcast with Rob and Ian? Yeah, so uh, hi, Nick. Hi, guys. Uh, So yes, um, you've seen a couple of things of note, I think. So on the virus itself, uh, there have been um, some fresh outbreaks in Asia, among other places. Um, So one outbreak um, was associated with a cluster of nightclubs in a particular district in Seoul. Uh, And there you've seen sort of Last I saw, sort of actual cases are in the low 100, so about 133, about. Um, but um, and so far, the authorities have tested some 35,000 club visitors uh, and their re- respective kind of family members, which I guess is a good illustration, I think, of both of the difficulties of returning to normality uh, as you relax some of the constraints. Um, that you've imposed on your population, but also the efforts required to manage the inevitable outbreaks that will occur um, as we delicately try and um, relax containment in much of the uh, much of the Western world. It, it's going to be tough, no doubt about it. Um, and there is an obvious trade-off between relieving some of the sort of terrible economic privations that many parts of society are suffering, uh, and obvious, you know, and public health. Uh, and to give you an idea. Um, we uh, we uh, we looked at um, yesterday. You had a speech um, from uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve Chair, the uh, you know the world's most important central banker, I guess, um, and he pointed out that forty percent of U.S. workers earning below forty thousand dollars a year are out of work. Um, so policymakers are really trying to work out what a smart reopening um, looks like. So highest priority uh, is reopening parts of the parts of the economy. If you think about it, that give you the biggest economic. Um, effect, uh, you know, the biggest effect on GDP and employment, positive uh, for the lowest um, health risk. Um, and it's almost easier to think about this equation in reverse. Uh, what are the activities that have a low impact on GDP and employment, uh, but a high risk of um, uh, in terms of reawakening the virus, um, which is uh, now endemic to the global population? So things like car shows, flower shows, pro sports uh, in the US 4th of July uh, celebrations, all of that stuff is very unlikely to come back uh, for a while. But I think our, sort of my final point would be that Asia is proving that it is possible to return to some kind of normal, uh, normal normality without a vaccine, but it's a delicate balance. Yeah, okay. A, a, a tightrope to walk there. Um, so, Rob, Ian, I know you guys have been itching to, to come on and talk about this subject, um, so, so sustainable investing or ESG, but um, I know, obviously, we've been we've been really very distracted by everything that's been going on in 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 the economic space, not not least because of the coronavirus for the last few months. But but actually, talking to you guys today about about ESG, I think is is really timely. Um, many people will will have seen some of the pictures that we've seen on social media, for example, um, the Venice canals. You know, 
suddenly um, the 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 water being being clear and being able to see fish returning the the impact on air quality of of the lack of economic activity that we've seen so just starting with you rob if I, if I, if we could what can you help define this space so when we're thinking about investments obviously we're used to talking about financial returns but how is sustainable investing or um, ESG different? Hi, Nikki. Yes. So I think first of all, let's just take a bit of a step back and start with the fact that all investments have an impact, so whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. So the reason I think that this topic is, is quite timely um, is that the coronavirus pandemic, as you mentioned, has really highlighted how a company or, or, or even an industry's activity uh, can either positively or negatively in, impact the economy, society and, and the wider environment. So as an investor in the equity through shares or, or debt uh, through bonds of a, of a company, you provide capital to finance that company's activity. So sustainable investing, as the name sort of suggests, take consideration takes consideration of these impacts into account when making investments. So through the consideration of environmental and societal issues, it's hoped that investors uh, and companies are aware of both the potential opportunities and the risks that these issues present. And so you just mentioned you know, that in the context of sustainable investing, but many of us um, hear ethical being mentioned. Are they the same thing? Not really. So let me just, I guess, tackle ethical investing and that might clear it up a little bit. So ethical investing is a way of expressing your values uh, typically by avoiding investment in companies that are considered unethical. Um, so it's been around for a long, long time, and charities uh, typically have been investing this way for, for decades. Now, although what people consider to be ethical can be different, generally kind of ethical investments or funds tend to exclude what you may have heard called sin stocks. So those are um, companies that uh, include sort of uh, tobacco companies, gaming companies, adult entertainment, those sorts of of things that are generally considered as, as, as bad um, services or, or goods. So ethical investing typically only considers the product or service that they offer. And if you don't, if you don't agree, if you don't find it ethical, then you simply don't invest. Whereas with sustainable investing, you consider not only the product or service that a company is producing, but also you consider the way in which the company is operating and the impact that that has kind of on the wider surroundings. And although Sustainable investing can still and, and will still ex- include or involve, I should say, excluding some companies or industries. You may also see ownership of, of companies or industries within sustainable investments that you might consider bad, so such as you know the oil industry and fossil fuels. Now, the reality is that you know owning some of these companies is still an important part of a transition to uh, a lower carbon economy, and there are other ways rather than just exclusion through sort of active ownership and engagement with companies, that you can also have an impact on on these uh, investments impact on the, the wider environment and society. It just strikes me that maybe one of the things that doesn't help us too much in, in this investment space is, is the amount of different terms used. It is quite confusing, isn't it? It is, yes. And I think I, I read something that said there's over 80 different terms used to explain various approaches under the banners of, of sort of sustainable investing and so you know it can be very confusing i think just to try and give some clarity if we think about the investment process then it's probably best to describe investing as, as a spectrum of different approaches approaches which can have different financial and um, impact aims so 
imagine on the far left-hand side, you have your kind of traditional investing, in inverted commas, where you don't consider the outcomes for, for people and the planet, only the financial returns um, and, and risks of the investment that you're making. Then on the far opposite, on the right-hand side, you have philanthropy or charitable giving, where you have no expectation of financial return, but you give in order to try and generate a very specific outcome depending on the cause that you're giving to in the charity. Um, then there are some approaches in between. Now, here's where it gets a bit confusing because there's not necessarily sort of industry-wide clear-cut definitions on exactly what each kind of word means. And, and the reality is that some approaches blur across kind of definitions. But I think the important thing to, to kind of understand is that there are some approaches which tend to focus on preventing significant sort of negative effects um, on important outcomes for people and planet. And often this is done by avoiding investments that pose significant environmental, social or governance ESG risks. Um, then there are approaches that kind of focus on positive outcomes and benefiting all stakeholders. So this is often through consideration of what the company or the firm is is doing or producing as a, as a product or, or good and how that's helping to progress you know, some of these issues forward, whether it be the environment or wider society. And both of these strategies can often deliver or try to deliver, I should say, uh, competitive returns, financial returns. And then you kind of have this area of what's called impact investing, where the focus tends to be on contributing to specific solutions and delivering um, specific outcomes. And there's, a, there's a, again, there's a range of different strategies within, within here, and some will target competitive returns, some will, will tolerate lower returns for increasing the impact that, that they're having. Thanks, Rob. That, that's really helpful. Um, and Ian, can I just turn to you? Um, perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on what ESG means and, and why should investors that, that might be listening to this podcast, why might they care about them? Sure. Hi, Nikki. Um, ESG really stands for environmental, social and governance. And as Rob says, you know, there are lots of other terms that we hear like responsible investing, sustainable investing, citizenship, but it's essentially they're used interchangeably, just think of them as the, as the same thing. Now, taking each of, of the E and the S and the G in turn, you know, environmental refers to the impact on the planet of the firms that one invests in. Social refers to how those companies are contributing to society in a positive way. And governance refers to the structures of how companies are being uh, managed. So perhaps to give an example of each, um, environmental might consider the pollution that a factory produces or the impact of its deforestation activities. Um, social might consider a labour relations or how suppliers are treated. And arguably, interestingly, this has become perhaps or has been historically the least tangible of the three, but has really come to the forefront in this in this pandemic as it becomes clear or clearer you know, which employers are doing their best to treat their staff and suppliers as as, as fairly as possible and which, which less so. Uh, finally, governance. The G is the area which fund managers arguably have been considering for the longest. You know, things like board composition, remuneration policies. You know, in the UK, that dates right back to the Cadbury report of the early 1990s. You know, some of our listeners may remember um, Robert Maxwell and, and Azul Nadir back um, from, from Polypec. But ultimately, you know, the bottom line is if people care about the future of the environment, and how the companies support it, and ensuring that companies are governed in a sustainable manner, then they should certainly consider ESG risks. Good. And I think 
um, it's worth touching a bit on performance. I know Rob mentioned um, it can be a very broad area looking across ESG and impact. But what do you say to those uh, listeners that that might be worried that investing in this way is some kind of trade-off with the kind of returns that they might be seeking? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we don't necessarily see that trade-off between doing good for your wealth and doing good for the health of the planet and society, if I can put it like that. Um, you know, there's been a huge number of academic studies looking at this question over the years. And whilst many suggest that returns are improved by considering these topics, the evidence is not wholly unambiguous. Um, What there does seem to be consensus over, though, is that risks are reduced, investment risks are reduced by considering these topics. And so that that has to be a good thing, right? Yeah, so so avoiding avoiding the real, you know, bloopers as opposed to um, perhaps keeping up with, you know, all of the winning strategies that might be out Mm -hmm. there. And I know, you know, we certainly across our our client base um, here from institutional and and the higher net worth investors, uh, some demand requests around ESG, but it seems as if there isn't quite so much uh, conversation across the larger retail investor base. Is that the case, or, or you know, why do you see that? Um, if that is the case, why do you think that? that that is so i think it's 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 a very interesting question and i think the the demand for this i say this type of investing uh amongst kind of the retail uh, investor space tends to be what we call a latent demand and so that is that it exists but to some extent it's it's hidden and what, and what i mean by that is that the research that we do and that lots of others have, have done and, and to some degree as you would expect when you ask people, you know, do you care about you know, the environment and, and wider society? You know, do you feel a responsibility to make a difference? Or you know, do you want your investments to be made responsibly? People overwhelmingly say yes. You know, who's, who's, who's going to say no to that sort of question? However, when you then look at how many retail investors are then actually you know, uh, doing this and investing uh, sort of responsibly or in uh, responsible or sustainable products, then you see a, a kind of a huge gap. And we did some research in originally in 2018 and then followed it up in 2000, sorry, in 2015, and then followed it up in uh, 2018. And we found that whilst 56% of investors were interested in impact investing, when we kind of explained it to them, only 15% had engaged in any sort of activity in that area. And whilst that is increased from what we saw in 2015, it's obviously still quite a significant gap. And, and why do you think that is, Rob? What, what barriers do you see? So I think one of the kind of biggest barriers is that many of the, the issues, such as you know, climate change or, or, or some of the other social issues, occur over a very long kind of period of time. So their effects are very incremental which means that it's, they're not hugely salient, so they're not necessarily at the front of our minds at all times. No one is walking around making, or, or most people aren't walking around making every decision they make in the context of how is this impacting the environment because I'm, I'm now suddenly very aware of it. You know, as I said, you know, the, the, the changes happen slowly over time. And as you mentioned at the start, Nikki, there's no doubt that the impact we have on the environment has been made you know, much more noticeable through this current crisis and some of the images that have been shown around. But I think in addition to that, how you can help reduce the impact or even tackle these issues by investing is not immediately clear and and well known. So even if you, you know, 
did have that in your mind when you came to thinking about investing how for for a for a novice you know how does that i thought how can that affect my decision making is not is not necessarily clear so you know many investors may not even realize the impact good or bad of, of, of their investments i think finally it's worth kind of thinking about that previously investors may have felt that the only way to really have an impact was through investing in like small early stage kind of unknown companies those are really trying to you know change the world if you like um which are inherently risky and also uh you know pose a lot of unknowns but the truth is that you can have an impact uh through stocks in well-known companies such as microsoft nintendo uh, and bt um and this type of responsive investing uh, can help remove any barriers from a, from a lack of familiarity and Ian, if I could turn to you, I mean, what Rob's describing there is, you know, perhaps the the landscape not making it particularly easy for um, retail investors to navigate their own way through this. Um, perhaps you just tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how do we approach that at, at Barclays? Sure. You know, at Barclays, we've actually been investing responsibly in a number of different ways for, for some years now. Um, let me just perhaps run through a few of those, starting with um, the United Nations. So the United Nations established its principles of responsible investing, and we've been a signatory for over three years now. So these principles aim to provide a menu of actions that allow signatories to contribute to developing a more sustainable global financial system. Um, I'm very pleased that and proud that we're A-rated actually by the UN for how we apply these um, in our investment processes, particularly as it pertains to the selection of external fund managers. Secondly, um, we do have an exclusionary screen across all our products, and that relates to defence activities. So you have a defence policy that essentially precludes investment in companies, debt or equity, um, involved in certain particularly unpleasant activities, um, such as the production of cluster munitions or de depleted uranium weapons. I think the final thing I'd say is when we select all the external managers, that's all the external managers um, right across our book that we typically employ to manage our client assets, then we embed an ESG assessment into our framework. So within that framework, um, ESG aspects of every fund are explicitly scored. Uh, one is within investment philosophy and the other is within the investment um, performance or positioning um, the former considers how the fund manager works ESG considerations into their investment process, idea generation, risk controls. Um, I like to think of that as the, the input, if you like, whereas the latter considers how this is reflected in the actual portfolio holdings. You know, does it tally what we'd expect um, philosophically? And I think of that as the, as the output so it should be clear then, I think, that ESG considerations are embedded right across our investments. Um, and then we're not, we're not stopping there, actually. You know, we recognise the importance of voting and engaging directly with the underlying companies that we hold. Um, just as we delegate the selection of the companies to external managers, so we'll delegate the voting and engagement to an external firm. We've already chosen that provider, and so we'll shortly have many of the world's leading specialists both investing our clients' assets and voting and engaging on them for us. That's great. And and so, um, you know, I know that, that 
we've got a specific fund that that's very deliberate in considering the impact that the investments within it have and that's managed by your team um the multi-impact growth fund can you tell us a little Mm. bit more about it absolutely so you know whilst i think it's i believe it's good to know i think it's good to know that barclays is taking um, its investment responsibility seriously in all senses of the terms um many investors want to go that step even further and actively invest for good now by that i mean investing not just for positive investment returns and avoiding investing in some nasty firms but in order to also have an explicitly positive impact on society and the planet now there's been strong growth in a number of such funds uh, recently in this space in the industry and yet we've had a, you know, this fund in place for over two and a half years now as you say it's called the multi-impact growth fund it's award-winning and it's a one-stop shop blend of leading equity and bond funds, all focusing on having a positive impact. Example holdings include a fund targeting alternative energy and efficiency, a fund targeting um, social bonds, and a fund targeting green bonds. And the multi-impact growth fund harnesses all the tried and tested elements of our investment toolkit, such as tactical asset allocation and manager selection, and successfully applies that to the impact space. It might help if I give a couple of examples just to, to, to bring it to life, perhaps one equity and one bond. Yeah. Um, on the equity side, um, EDP Renewables is one of the world's largest producers of wind energy. Um, extraordinarily, even today, almost a billion people globally are functioning without electricity. And of course, wind farms, wind energy, can address both this need and reduce the amount of carbon dioxide uh, going into the atmosphere compared to traditional uh, ways of of, of generating energy like fossil fuels. And in terms of the sustainable development goals, this targets number seven, affordable and clean energy. Perhaps I'll wrap up with the the bond example. Um, There is a a co-op sustainable bond. That's actually the first bond from a retailer in the UK that aims to meet a couple of these SDGs. That's number four, quality education, and number eight, decent uh, work. Now, farming today is still the largest employer in the world. It provides livelihoods for 40% of the globe's population. And the proceeds from this bond we use to distribute and develop fair trade products, that's fair trade with capital F, boost marketing, and also to train and advise the farmers, all with the aim of providing a better life for them and their families. That's that's great, really insightful. And of course, um, you know, you've mentioned mentioned a couple of firms there. They're not recommendations. Clearly, anyone that's listening um, would would need to um, decide for themselves or, or, or get advice um, if considering investing in, in anything that's been mentioned. Um, so just back to you, Rob, given you know, the current situation we're, we're all in. Um, and, you know, generally we are seeing behavioural change from um, society. What can we infer about the future when it comes to the environment and other issues? So it's interesting. I think there's, there's a lot of speculation about how the crisis will change people's behaviour and sometimes uh, drastically and into the future. But I mean, the reality is it's, it's, it's still too early to tell what the effects will be on behaviour, sadly. Um, but what we do know is that habits can be very strong and are very difficult to, to stop. Um, but it's also pretty hard to create new ones and new behaviours, especially if there's some short-term cost. Now, this current situation we're in 
the reality is that the choices have been taken away from us for the large part. So our, our, our hand has been forced. So the behavior that we're exhibiting, we don't have a choice over. So, you know, the questions about how we'll behave into the future are still very much kind of undecided. So, you know, will we all be much more environmentally friendly um, and take these considerations on board more? It's, it's really difficult to say. I mean, the thing is, we, what, what we can say is, and what I do believe, that certain trends have obviously been accelerated by this process. So especially as this period is kind of prolonged um, you know, and, and choices are kind of taken away from us for longer, the likelihood is that some of those choices may still be made when um, those those lockdowns start to disappear. So working from home is the obvious one. And therefore, you know, people's the amount of travel that people do, um, you know, will that be reduced? And, and the answer is probably yes, but to what extent it's really difficult to say at this point in time. Yeah. And I guess, we'll, as you say, time will tell whether whether people convert from mass transportation to cars. You know, we hope it's all walking and bikes, but, um, you know, that, that will remain to be seen, won't it? Um, and Will, any any further thoughts from you? Um, I don't know whether whether the kids are around the dog. Um, obviously, we're, we're keen to hear their their thoughts as well. <laughs> yeah, basically what they said. And as, as I told you, the first thing I did this morning was stop stepped into the dog's business. That was my first step this morning. So I'm hoping that the day has improved since then. But uh, it's I think um, I mean the main thing I think on this. I'm back to the real topic, not not not. Um, not dog poo, uh, it's a great option for investors. Uh, you know, so before all of this, you know, a long time ago, um, you know, previously your option was as an investor was really, if you wish to express specific societal or environmental objectives, it was really just not to own stuff. I mean, the guys have highlighted some other options as well, but that was your main option. So to have the ability to target and hopefully profit from specific environmental societal objectives it's a real game changer and hopefully both not just for the investors, but hopefully for the ends uh, they want to achieve. So it, it's a great development in the investment industry. Yeah. And, and one that that has seen real um, uh, acceleration, uh, as, as Ian mentioned, you know, with, with the UNPRI, um, that, that becoming way more mainstream. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a lot more that we'll want to discuss. So um, so perhaps, Ian, we'll have you on standby, if that's OK. Um, and we'll bring you Absolutely. back um, when when your diary allows and and if things um, you know remain a little bit quieter in co- coronavirus land. Um, but anyway, just just easy me to say thank you very much to Ian, to Rob and Will. Um, and thank you to our listeners. And we'll be back with another word on the street very soon. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.